Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our text for our sermon is Mark chapter 15, verses 37 through 38. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is the gospel history of our Lord. The temple was patterned after the original tabernacle design that God gave to Moses. And that tabernacle had a court, and as you got near to where the big tent was set up in the middle, there's where the sacrifices and stuff were made, where the altar was. And the lay people weren't allowed there. And then when you went inside the tent that was set up, there was what was called the holy. And this is where the altar for incense and the showbread was. And there was this curtain that went across And on the other side of that curtain was the holiest of holies. And there the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments and and the manna in the jar and Aaron's rod that had budded sat. But the big thing was the top of that Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat. Once a year, just once a year, a priest who was a sinner like you and I, and so there had to be a sacrifice and he had to be made clean, would go in there and he would offer a sacrifice there. Now, the temple was patterned after that in that curtain that separated the holy from the holiest of holies was almost as thick as your hand. It was four inches thick. And when Christ dies, he breathes his last. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And that is torn in two. And so today, as we continue our sermon theme uh, with the series Rays of Divine Glory as seen in Christ's Passion, we see that scene when the barrier to the holiest of holies was torn in two. Now imagine... The priest probably didn't even know that Jesus had died on the cross when he went in to offer that, that, that sacrifice on the incense altar. And all of a sudden he saw something he had never seen his whole life and otherwise would never see. The temple curtain was torn in two and he could see into the holiest of holies. Only, only the high priest went in there. Only the high priest saw that unless there was maintenance that had to be done on that curtain. See, there was a message God was giving there. The Old Testament priesthood was a shadow of the true high priest. The high priest, that particular year it was Caiaphas, who went out of his way to try to murder Jesus. The high priest was supposed to be a shadow of the coming Lord because he would make that offering over it. Jesus is the true high priest. He offered himself He was the sacrifice and the high priest so that he could wash you clean of your sins. I could preach an entire sermon on this, but since we're talking about the temple curtain being torn in two and there's a few other points I want to make, I will let the inspired scripture say it succinctly as the Holy Spirit intended in Hebrews chapter 9 verses 6 through 15. After these things had been furnished in this way, the priests would always enter the first room of the tent to perform their ministries, but only the high priest would enter the second section of the tent once each year and not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people committed in ignorance. 
By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that while the first room of the tent existed, a way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed. The tent is a picture of pointing to the present time. Since it is only a picture, the gifts and sacrifices that are brought there are not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only bodily regulations about food, drinks, and various washings, which were in force until the time of the new order. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that were coming, he went through the greater and more complete tent, which was not made by human hands. That is, it's not part of this creation. He entered once into the most holy place and obtained eternal redemption, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. Now, if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were unclean sanctifies them so that their flesh is clean, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from the dead works so that we worship the living God? Jesus went to the throne of God. The mercy seat was supposed to represent that. There were literally cherubim flying around. He is the high priest who offered himself to cleanse not just you and not just me and not just all believers, the world. For as John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. How wonderful it is to be clean. Do you know, I'm a very big fan of psychology as a true science, but you know, there are billions of dollars spent a year in America alone on psychologists for something that Christ has given for free. A lot of people go to psychologists because they feel guilty. They have a guilty conscience. And all they need to be told is, God became a man and has washed your sin away. By the faith that his Holy Spirit gives us, that forgiveness is ours. But once you have that forgiveness, once you're a believer, you have the keys, the binding and the loosing key. Jesus talked about to the disciples about that before his death. But after he rose, he appears to them. And that's recorded in John chapter 19, verse 23. And he reaffirms this for us. He says, it says, on the evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were together behind locked doors because of the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. So his disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Just as the father has sent me, I am also sending you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Whenever you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven. Whenever you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, why wouldn't you forgive a sin? If a person was stuck in the sin and they were embracing it, see, then they would be letting that sin have the place in their heart that belongs to God. If they were not repenting of it, you would bind that sin to them, not to be mean, not to be bullying. People who refuse to see it's a sin, you literally are locking the gates of heaven and opening up the gates of hell and holding their feet there and say so that they actually recognize the danger they are in. But the minute they repent, the minute they regret the sin, then we are to tell them Christ has removed that sin. How wonderful it is. That thing that's making you guilty, a brother or sister in Christ can simply tell you Christ has removed that sin and the gates to hell are locked and the gates to heaven are flung wide open. 
Christ is the high priest that the Old Testament high priesthood was foreshadowing and pointing to because he offered himself to remove our sins, both the sins we know and the sins we don't even realize we have. They're all taken care of because he offered himself as the Lamb of God. But therefore, he's also made you a priest who gets to tell others... Christ, your sin is forgiven. So as we look at rays of divine glory as seen in Christ's passion, when the barrier to the holiest of holies was torn in two, we see that 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 act of tearing that curtain in two was proclaiming that you have a high priest, Jesus, and he has made you a priest. See, priests would take the blood of an animal that was brought in for sin and after they'd inspected it of course you would cut the animal's throat and then they would dip the hyssop plant and splatter it on them and announce that your sin was forgiven but see they were an intercessor they were a go-between they would take that animal's carcass and they would put it on the altar for you And again, then for God, as they splattered that blood on you, they would speak for God and tell you your sin had been forgiven, truly pointing ahead to the Lamb of God, our high priest, Jesus Christ, who would remove your sin. They were a go-between, an intercessor. You and I have direct access to God now. And that's something that the temple being torn in two was stating. There's no longer a barrier between you. You don't need to have a human being who will once a year go into that temple that one day, the day of atonement, and pour the blood of an innocent victim, that lamb, over or that goat over the mercy seat to atone for all the sins you didn't even realize you made because in those sins would separate you from God. Christ has torn that curtain in two because you now have direct access to God because Christ is your intercessor. Now, in the medieval ages, the Christian church got confused. They started replacing pagan gods with outstanding Christians. And if you believe in God, the Holy Spirit has given you faith, you have the blood of Christ, so you're a saint, meaning you've been made holy. But they would take pagan gods and replace them with dead Christians who had stood out, and and this led to a cult of worshiping saints. And the idea was this saint had been so holy that they had extra good works and extra favor of God. And if you could get their attention, they'd walk up to the throne of God and tug on his sleeve and say, you know, Lord, I got some extra good works here. And and that person there, they've they've got my attention. Could could, Could you give them a little mercy? But see, you don't need to worry about trying to get somebody else to listen to you because God became a human being for you. God knows all things and he hears your prayers and he is your attorney because he is your high priest. By the way, he's also your judge, so relax. You know how judgment day is going to go when your defense attorney is also your judge. But see, I always talk about the Hollywood Western, for example, where you got the, the outlaw and, they, and, and the posse's got him trapped in the box canyon. He's got the gold and he says that prayer, Lord, you up there and listening? I certainly don't don't deserve anything, and you don't owe me nothing. We haven't got along real good, but if you'll let me out of this one, I'll give half this gold to the orphanage in town. God is all-knowing. So in a sense, God hears all prayers. But when our sin separates us, God does not hear our prayers as a loving father who wants to provide for his children. Only by our intercessor, our high priest Jesus Christ, removing our sin... 
Will God hear and answer our prayers? You now have direct access to God. You can pray to him as your heavenly father, as your brother, your intercessor, your attorney, and as the Holy Spirit who, is given, who lives in your heart and connected you to Christ. So for example, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. He has made the sacrifice. We don't need a guy who goes and talks to God for us, presenting our offerings and then to, and to us for God. Jesus, who is God, is man, and he does that for us, and we are connected to him through the mysterious union of all believers. So we see rays of divine glory as seen in Christ's passion when the barrier to the holiest of holies was torn in two, proclaiming that you have a high priest and you are a priest, proclaiming that you have direct access to God and Christ is your intercessor. Now, as we look at all that priesthood in the temple, that was all part of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament was an old covenant. What do we mean by an old covenant? Well, if you go to the bank to get a loan on your house and they say, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll loan you the money. That's our part. But if you fail in making the payments we've arranged and agreed to, then we take your house and sell it to get our money back. It's a two-sided contract. You have to do your part. They have to do their part. That's a covenant. And when God brought the people to Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, he made a covenant with them. You remain faithful to me, follow my civil, ceremonial, and moral laws, and I will bless you. You will shine out to the world with my holiness. They will know this is where forgiveness, this is where the coming Savior is to be found. I will send the rains and your land will flow with milk and honey. And no one will be able to defeat you. You won't have to worry about other nations picking on you or trying to overtake you. But... If you don't do your end of the covenant, then I will lift my hand of protection. And we know the rest of the story. Moses goes up to get the, 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 the part of that moral law and the Ten Commandments and get everything ratified. He's gone 40 days and they make a golden calf and worship it, immediately breaking it. And so it is that eventually the Babylonians conquer them, then the Persians, then Alexander the Great, but the, Greek rule, the, the Greeks rule over them. And then ultimately when Christ is born, it's the Romans ruling over them. They broke the covenant. We call that the Old Covenant. It was meant for the children the descendants of Abraham to shine out to the world. And even the laws of worship were there that were to govern how this holiness was. That's not the new covenant, which ironically came first, because that was given to Adam and Eve when they fell into sin. But see, it's a one-sided covenant. As John 3.16 says, it only demands that you believe, but God even gives you the belief because he sends somebody to share the message of salvation and forgiveness in our high priest, in the Lamb of God, in our Savior, Jesus Christ, our intercessor, and then the Holy Spirit enters our heart and makes us believe it. So God does all the work. God says, sit back, let me take care of this. And he does that all using his word. Now, we want to add something here because we can get very confused. The new covenant is salvation. God gives it to you. The old covenant was for Israel at Mount Sinai to shine out with holiness. And God even prescribed the day they were to worship and how they were to worship. All those Old Testament sacrifices gave them the blueprint for the tabernacle, which would be the blueprint for on a larger scale for the temple and everything else. We get confused about this today. I want to 
I want to point out that it was around 200-250 AD that Christians ironed out what is still the skeletal structure of our liturgy. Liturgy means to serve. It's a servant. And you'll notice that when you go to a liturgical church, you, you, you begin in the name of the God you're worshiping, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then shortly thereafter, you confess your sins in a very general way, that you're a sinner. And then you hear that Christ is your high priest. He's removed your sin. And then you launch into lessons. Uh, we have an Old Testament, an epistle, a psalm, and the gospel lesson. And then one of those lessons is, is explained to you with appropriation. It's applied to you. The whole entire service crescendos to that, and that's the sermon. And then after the sermon, it decrescendos as we pray to God, as we give our offerings, which are thanks, not God hasn't set you know, all these animals and stuff you have to give. And then we conclude with the ironic blessing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is a beautiful thing. It's not commanded by Scripture. See, all the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament have been fulfilled. That was the old, that was the old covenant. So we're free in how to do it. Now, we would be foolish to crumple that up. All, all, that, uh, that, that, all the work of our brothers and sisters in Christ before us. And it's kind of neat. When we follow that outline, we are joining with Christians, what Christians have done in different languages for almost 2,000 years. Sometimes people say, let's just wad that up. I want to have songs that are entertaining. Let's get a scrap of sermon. Let's maybe have plays and things like that. And we got to be careful why we do that. We're free to do that. But we got to be careful because if it's this is what entertains me, this is what I want, this is what I like, guess who is the God being worshipped? It isn't the triune God. It's the almighty self. But on the other hand, we can go to the opposite extreme. There are no ceremonial laws in the New Testament. And we can go to the opposite extreme and say, if you don't bow down, if you don't stand up, if you don't sit at the right time, if you don't cross yourself so many times, then you're not truly forgiven. And that would be making ceremonies that God has not prescribed or insisted on and making them and making our salvation depend on them. So let me remind you what Hebrews chapter nine, verses nine through 10, 10 said. This tent is a picture pointing to the present time. Since it is only a picture, the gifts and sacrifices that are brought there are not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only bodily regulations about food, drinks, and various watchings, which were in force until the time of the new order. They were meant to point to Christ, to show holiness, to show the problem with sin. But now there are no ceremonial laws in the New Testament. When we gather together to hear the forgiveness of sins proclaimed, when we believe in it, when we share it, we are worshiping Jesus. And so Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15 says, For this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant. A death took place as a payment for the trespasses committed under the first covenant so that those who are called would receive the promised eternal inheritance. The temple curtain was torn in two. Everything in the temple was done. It was meant to point to that moment in Christ's resurrection, all the forgiveness of sin, all the regulations, moral, civil, ceremonial. Christ has now empowered you. And we don't want to be making ceremonial laws as if our salvation depends on them and things like that. That was all the old covenant. In the new covenant, we are free to cling to Christ because he has saved us and even gave us the faith by which we cling to him. 
And so as we continue in this series, we have seen rays of divine glory as seen in Christ's passion when the barrier to the holiest of holies was torn in two, proclaiming that you have a high priest and you are a priest, proclaiming that you have direct access to God and Christ is your intercessor, proclaiming that you are in the new covenant and the old covenant is gone, it's fulfilled. Amen. And now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood and made us a kingdom and priests to God his Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.